Warm hello to all who join us. My name is Ray. I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon, and I have with me my mug from the Twin Cities, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, cities that we should be praying for right now. Here in BC, for months, we have heard Dr. Bonnie Henry say, be calm, be kind, stay safe. In our passage today, Paul sounds a little bit like her. No matter what your circumstance, live in harmony. Be full of joy. Be reasonable and gentle. Don't be anxious. Be at peace. Contemplate the best virtues in life and then practice them. We may wonder whether Paul's counsel is relevant for us today. In a National Post article entitled, Coming Undone, What COVID-19 Pandemic Policies Have Done to Our Psyche, Sharon Kirkey writes that according to a survey done in the first half of May by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, 25% of Canadians are experiencing moderate to severe levels of anxiety. 20% reported feeling depressed. Women, parents with children at home, and younger adults, the 18 to 39-year-olds, in other words, millennials and Generation Z, are faring worse than others. Nearly one quarter of the people surveyed reported binge drinking. Significant numbers reported feeling easily annoyed and irritable. Some of us are just tired of being confined to our homes. So, where is Paul sitting when he gives counsel to the Philippians? He's in a Roman jail cell. His life is in the balance. He may live or he may die. It's an uncertain time for him. Some who call themselves Christians are adding even more to his suffering. A Jewish sect is influencing the church he planted in Philippi, telling the new disciples that they need to become Jews if they want to follow Jesus. The church family in Philippi is threatened with division. Did he have any reason to complain, to make some malicious comments, or to just be anxious? So maybe we should take a few minutes to listen to Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Synthici to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
This pastoral guidance is based on what Paul has written in the previous chapters. Paul continues to talk here about what it means to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven. To have that citizenship not only be a destination for us, but a reality that informs how we live now. In verses 2 and 3, Paul directly addresses two women who are in conflict. Paul has earned the right to make this direct exhortation because of the level of love and trust between him and them and the church family. Remember, this letter will be read in public to the church family. Paul doesn't reveal the source of the tension, but it appears to be a substantive division within church leadership. The conflict is public. It's there for everyone to see. In the church family, we often hesitate to address conflict. Sometimes we believe it's easier to just avoid the conflict. And this can create a false sense of peace or harmony. True peace never comes through pretending that what is wrong is right. Peter Scazzaro writes in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Every time we make an assumption about someone who has hurt or disappointed us, we believe a lie about that person in our heads. If we truly love God and love one another deeply, then we can disrupt this false sense of peace and work toward healing. Healthy relationships cannot be built on lies and pretense. So Paul directly urges Yodia and Sintichi to agree. We should take note of a few things here. Those words, to agree, those are the same words used in, a, in chapter 2, verse 2, where they're translated as being of the same mind. They can be in harmony by having the mind and disposition of Jesus, namely a posture of self-sacrifice, love, humility, and generosity. Then notice also that Paul honors them by calling them fellow workers. In this illustrious group, Paul would have included people like Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, Mark, Luke, Philemon, and Clement. Yodia and Sintichi are co-workers of Paul who have struggled side by side with him for the advance of the gospel. Their names are in the book of life, Paul writes. They belong to God's family. They're true disciples, but they must live by the values of their citizenship in heaven. Finally, notice that Paul does not tell them to just bless one another and go their separate ways. He doesn't tell Yodia to go plant the second church of Philippi. Rather, he asks for some intervention, for third-party intervention. The words true companion there can be translated loyal yoke fellow or as a proper name, loyal Sisygus. We're not sure. What we can say for sure is that mediation was required to help heal the division, to bring Yodia and Sintichi together. Walking in unity is not an abstract idea. It's worked out on the ground, one conflict at a time. When, when relationships are broken, we must work for reconciliation. There can be no dichotomy between having the mind of Jesus and how we live. So no matter what, be a healing presence in the way of Jesus. Sometimes, as mediators, we don't need to talk a lot. 
We just need to do something. In August 1968, the United States was just reeling from the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and the race riots that followed on its heels. Nightly news showed burning cities, radicals and reactionaries snarling at each other across the cultural divide, much like what we see now. At the time, a brand new national children's show out of Pittsburgh took a unique approach. Fred Rogers, whose life and work has received renewed interest through last year's film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, had met Francois Clemens at a church service. After hearing him sing, Rogers asked Clemens to join the show, the show being Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he introduced the police officer, the black police officer, Clemens, a kind, responsible authority figure who kept his neighborhood safe and who was also his colleague and his neighbor. A year later, in 1969, when black Americans were actually prevented from swimming alongside whites, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens to sit beside him and cool his feet in a plastic waiting pool. And there they sat, silently, contemplatively, black feet and white feet, side by side, in the water. The episode culminated with Rogers drying off Clemens' feet. Most young children were probably unaware of the real weight of the episode, what it carried, a clear reference to Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But the image of a white man respectfully caring for a black man was probably seared in their minds. Twenty-five years later, when Francois Clemens retired, his last scene on the show revisited that same waiting pool. And Officer Clemens asked Mr. Rogers what he had been thinking about during that silent moment by the pool 25 years earlier. Fred Rogers answered, I was thinking of the many ways people say, I love you. In a world screaming for justice and healing, acceptance and love, could we not find a way to love others the way Jesus did? And where there is division, could we not be a healing presence as Fred Rogers was? Perhaps our situation is complex, painful, unfair, and we feel justified to argue, complain, and feel sorry for ourselves. We may feel we're not ready to be a healing presence. Paul says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What does he mean? We live in a world that preaches that we will be happy when we have a good experience, when we're present in the moment, when we feel realized, when we can do whatever we want, free. Paul would say to our world, you're actually talking about a false joy, an emotion you experience for a moment and it's fleeting. I'm talking about a deep joy that can be had always because it doesn't depend on changing circumstances but on the one who does not change. True, lasting joy is always available for those in the Lord, Paul writes, for those who actually trust in the living God. Paul knew this joy. In chapter 1, he rejoiced in the proclamation of the gospel, even though some proclaimed Jesus out of rivalry, wanting to make him suffer 
even more during his imprisonment. And if we have not understood, Paul says it again, rejoice. I'm reminded of Winnie Ann's video testimony at her Christmas services. Do you remember? When uh, my wife and I went to visit her at Vancouver General Hospital, she was no longer able to digest food. She was losing strength and vitality. But she radiated joy and love. She knew Jesus. She knew where she was going. She knew where her citizenship was. And she longed for others to experience Jesus' love. The hospital staff named her room the happy room. So no matter what, be filled with the deep, lasting joy of Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonable refers to a gentle, patient steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice and maltreatment without hatred and revenge, trusting in God in spite of it all. It is a calm, be kind attitude where vengeful retaliation would be actually be expected. What motivates us to be reasonable and gentle? The Lord is at hand. James, the brother of Jesus, writes something similar in James 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus' return is imminent. He will judge all people. Paul has the finish line in mind. So no matter what, be gentle and patient, knowing that your future is in Jesus' hands. This past month, our Strata Council, where we live, uh, made a decision that really upset me. I was disturbed by the decision-making process and the final outcome. And I thought I was justified in my displeasure. I assembled my arguments The more I thought about it, the more bothered I became. I needed to calm down to to de-escalate. The best way for me to do that is to go for a run. So went down the elevator. When I came out of the elevator, the strata president was in the lobby. I casually greeted her and walked out the door. About five kilometers into my run, I sensed the Lord prompting me, didn't you just read, let your reasonableness be known to everyone? I questioned everyone, Lord. Didn't you see what they did? The Lord said, Ray, you're only losing money. Why don't you talk to the Strata Council president about the recent loss of her husband instead? Hmm. Okay, Lord. But only if she is still in the lobby when I return to the building. She and another Strata member were there when I returned. To my surprise, we ended up having an amazing conversation where God, it just seemed as if God was giving me the words to say. I didn't talk about the strata decision, but was able instead to focus on the loss that she was experiencing. I went up the elevator with deep peace in my heart. That doesn't change the fact that I'm losing some money, but when I stand before Jesus, I don't think he's going to say, hey, Ray, that money that you lost because of that strata decision really bothered me. Here it is. No, relationships are much more important. 
Then Paul writes some of his most famous words in verses 6 and 7, which we should memorize. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious. There actually is a healthy anxiety that can motivate us to do something like study for an exam, wash our hands during COVID, or apply for jobs. And then there is an unhealthy anxiety that actually harms us and can affect our relationship with others. Paul is addressing this unhealthy anxiety in these verses. Canadians have spent a good number of days over the past three months worrying. There are so many unknowns. Isolation and uncertainty increase anxiety. The uncertainty fuels anxiety, especially when we don't know what to do. Anxiety spreads like a virus. It's invisible and highly contagious. News and social media often add to the spread of this anxiety virus. What can we do about it? First, we need to pay attention to what generates our anxiety. Rather than suppress the symptom, we need to deal with the emotional process. What has generated anxiety for me? Well, in the past for me, uh, moving to a new country, learning a new language, a loved one facing cancer, financial stress, exam time, the need to please people, a child struggling in life. In recent weeks, the 24-hour news feed around COVID-19 and the attempt to somehow manage the future. Usually, when we experience that unhealthy anxiety, we're being tormented by things that are beyond our control. What is the chronic need that generates anxiety for you? What do you do when you are anxious? Some just work harder to be more productive. I see that tendency in myself. Some people eat more, some eat less. Some treat others more harshly. Some become more controlling. Some just shut down. They feel powerless and hopeless. For some, the symptoms are, are physical. The mind spins, the body tenses up, the heart races. If you don't know when you're anxious, ask people close to you. My youngest daughter called me to ask for some help last week, and I was in hyper-problem-solving mode. <laughs> as soon as I started talking, she interrupted me and said, Dad, you sound really stressed. What's going on? You see, people close to us know when we're wound up. We can live in the grip of chronic anxiety, or we can choose to walk in a different way. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Those are specific requests arising from specific needs. In every circumstance, he says, instead of worrying, pray. Eugene Peterson writes, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. The Philippians are to find release from anxiety through prayer and more prayer. Prayer is a conversation with, a direct plea, a request made to God who hears and responds to the concerns that otherwise could sink us into despair. Peter writes, casting all your anxieties on him 
because he cares for you. Our anxieties that are churning inside us, hidden, bottled up, are laid out before God, spread out before him. When presenting our request to God, we enter his presence with hearts full of gratitude for who he is. We remember how he has been faithful to us in the past, and we trust that he will be faithful in the present circumstance. Because God is sovereign over all things, we can entrust our concerns to him. He's all-wise. He's all-powerful and present, loving. We enter the presence of the one who is greater than all our troubles. We discover that at the root of our anxiety is unbelief. And so we replace fear with faith because they cannot occupy the same space. When Paul says the peace of God will guard our our hearts and our minds, he refers to our whole person, thoughts, emotions, will. Our thought life and emotional state will be controlled by the peace of God. Our decision-making will issue forth from minds and hearts at peace. Steve Cuss, a pastor and leadership consultant from Colorado, says, Displace your pressure with the presence of God. This peace of God, which is intellectually incomprehensible, is God's gift to those in Christ Jesus, to those who are one with Jesus. God's sense of well-being, wholeness, replaces worry at the center of our being. We experience God's peace when it is unexpected, in circumstances when it appears to be inaccessible. The peace of God transcends understanding. It produces better results than human planning. It is far superior to anything we would depend on for security. It is far more effective than our power of reasoning. So let's invite God into our stress and pressure. Rather than listening to the anxious thoughts spinning in our minds, let's allow the truth of God's word to fill our minds. So no matter what, displace your pressure with God's presence. When we as parents, friends, teachers, neighbors business owners, managers, and employees live from a place of peace and clarity, we encourage others to be calm, kind, and reasonable. The peace of God can also spread like a virus. I would encourage you to participate in the panel conversation about anxiety. It will be on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, June 16th, 7.30, hosted by Pastor Willie and Pastor Jordan. And then Paul writes in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, that's noble, dignified, whatever is just, right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, pleasing, winsome, whatever is commendable, attractive, respectable, if there's any excellence, any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep your mind on these things. And then in verse 9, what you have learned, that is, what you have learned from example, and what you've received, that is, what you've been taught and heard and seen in me. Heard and seen in me, that refers to the, the things taught and exemplified by Paul, his words and his actions. 
they are to practice these things. In their discipleship, they are to follow the teaching and patterns of behavior exemplified by Jesus, by Paul, and other faithful disciples. Note that Paul's list is timeless for all cultures. It's for all of us. And then note that following Jesus always includes both a way of thinking and a way of living. Finally, Note that the outcome of thinking and living like Jesus is this. The God of peace will be with you. As disciples of Jesus, we are to fill our minds with things that provide a proper spiritual perspective, lead us into the presence of God, provide us with a moral compass, and lead us to serve others. We are to think and live as citizens of heaven. So no matter what, Think and act like a citizen of heaven. With what are you and I filling our minds, our hearts? How does this input affect your thought life, emotional state, decision-making? How does this input impact your relationship with God and with others? There are numerous pieces of counsel in these verses. Be of the same mind. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known. Do not be anxious. Let your requests be made known. Think about these things. Practice these things. When you look closely at the language being used in this passage, there's a common background to all of the counsel. It is this. In the Lord. The promise of peace in this passage is only for those who put their trust in Jesus. The peace of God is only there for those who have repented for their independence and rebellion, surrendered their lives completely to Jesus, entrusted their lives to Him, and have been filled with His Holy Spirit. Do you want it? If you want to receive that peace that God has for you, then pray with me right now. And then it will have something special for all followers of Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, I turn from my independent ways, and I turn to you as my Savior and Lord. I believe that you died on the cross and that you paid the price for my sin. Forgive me. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your peace. Lead me from this point forward. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, please click on the I Commit Myself to Jesus button. We would love to encourage you in your journey. Now something for all of us. Fred Rogers thought and acted when he washed the feet of Francois Clemens. He would always begin his TV show with the song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? One day, when he got on the New York subway, A journalist was asking Fred Rogers, played by Tom Hanks in the movie, about some of the heavy themes he had covered on a children's program, like war, racial tensions, divorce. And this is what happened. So, you covered some heavy stuff, uh, especially for a show aimed at children. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you had the chance to view the program. 
death, divorce, war, gets dark. You know, Maggie Stewart showed me the most beautiful word in sign language. You know what that means? It means friend. Isn't that perfect? Who's Maggie Stewart? Hey, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beauty.